Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's that special time once again for the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. And it will be airing live momentarily. This is that place to ask those special questions about PCs, technologies, with your computer, iPhone, and those smart devices designed to work at home and in the office that's supposed to make life easier. We welcome your questions tonight. And please help me welcome the CEO and founder of the Jaymore Connection, Inc., and the star of tonight's show, Mr. John C. Morley. Check us out more at jmor.com. gentlemen, or should I say, happy 4th of July to everyone. Can you believe we're actually, today is the 4th of July? Uh, we're here, just like the post office, rain, sleet, shine, uh, whether we're here at our base in New Jersey, whether we're up on a mountain skiing, or whether we're at the beach, wherever we are, we're broadcasting live for you. So let's talk about tonight, shall we? Uh, with 4th of July, so much has been happening uh, with technology. Um, for those of you that are following us, um, there are certain areas our contests are starting in. So if you're in one of the areas where our contest is starting in, tonight is the night that we're going to start revealing some clues. I'm not actually going to tell you when I'm going to reveal the clues. It'll just be sometime during the hour. So you need to be listening uh, to what the clue is to help you solve the crossword puzzle. And remember, once you fill out the crossword puzzle, you can either go to the website with a special URL and upload a copy of it. Um, we're going to be getting clues all through July and all through August and actually have that first week or so to submit it. And that's why we're giving you July and August because we're going to be giving clues every single Monday night uh, to help you solve this crossword puzzle. And if you are one of the lucky um, winners, you will actually get a uh, gift certificate to a local restaurant. We're actually giving out a few prizes uh, to restaurants. In order to win, you just have to fill out the um, crossword puzzle, and we do pull uh, a couple names uh, randomly. Uh, in September, we'll be doing that. So you need to uh, submit that to us either by fax or by the website by scanning it and uploading it. Um, once you've done that, uh, we're good to go. You cannot submit it earlier than the date in September, which it mentions. And again, uh, this is only open to areas that we have invited uh, to enter our contest. So there are a few areas. And for those of you that don't see a contest in your area, uh, don't be sad because we'll be doing contests in your area soon. Uh, we're just uh, starting this program out, and we're doing contests in just a few areas to test it out. So tonight, uh, what I think we're going to talk about tonight is, besides, you know, the clues which we'll start giving the show, I about, you know, what's on with technology in our world, and I think that's been, I think, a, a question to a lot of people uh, for a while. You know, wh where is technology going? You know, what are we doing? And um, you know, uh, the thing I think that's 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 really interesting is uh, some of the feuds going on right now. Um, many of you are, are familiar with the um, uh, the feud that was going on uh, with Nvidia. Uh, does that does that ring uh, ring a bell to anybody? Well, um, there there is there is definitely that that feud going on with Nvidia, and then the, who knows who knows the other company? Anybody else want to chime with that other company is? Well, that other uh, company that um, I'm sure you know it's it's not Intel, 
Uh, who's the other? Uh, who's that other? Who's that other provider? I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Well, the other provider uh, that's been around for quite a while. Really, already, how can I say? Really, get into the way uh, with what's going on as opposed to I'm talking about video cards now. And for those of you that don't know what's going on, uh, there's a big feud going on between um, Nvidia and AMD. And um, the feud is so bad uh, that if one company were to catch on fire, hypothetically, uh, the other company wouldn't even think to help the others to put it out. I mean, they're just going crazy right now because they're really neck and neck at each other's throat, especially with the new um, uh, video cards that are launching. And um, some other great things are happening, too, right now. The NVMe, uh, Non-Volatile Memory Express. And the Intel 750, it's just really insanely fast. And the new ones are going to be even more fast than this. So just a little things that are happening to you. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about some other things that are happening in technology. And um, I want to talk to you about the, um, what they call the APDs, uh, the Algorithmic Personality Detection. And what's happening now, and this is a kind of interesting, because a lot of companies – in the insurance industry, are actually starting to do APDs on people. You're saying, what the heck is he talking about? This is a tech show. Well, you're right, it's a tech show. But one of the things we also try to tell you about is what's happening with technology and how technology is being used. Well, the insurance agencies feel that people are a risk. So what they're doing is they are kind of profiling people using an APD, an algorithmic personality detection um, and what they're doing is figuring out people's risk level based on their behaviors. So this is something that has just started very recently, only within the last 6 to 12 months. And we're going to see these kinds of things actually affect our premiums because in certain types of insurance policies, they're going to become very important. And risk has always been an issue, but now risk is going to become even more of an issue. And this is something that we need to understand because – it's one thing to understand, you know, why our premiums go up for some, some reason that they tell us, but there's another reason to understand why would our premiums go up for, like, no reason, right? And, and I know that's really, really hard to understand, uh, but you have to trust me. It's just they're trying to figure out ways to raise the premium. And by raising the premium right now, they figure that certain people of a certain type of personality – are going to be more of a risk than someone else that is not of, let's say, uh, that personality. They're looking into things such as um, not just your backgrounds, but what were your what were your scores like in school? They're comparing these things and putting them in this formula, which is an algorithm. And remember, an algorithm is nothing more uh, than a set of instructions that you do in a specific order to get a result. For example, when you get up in the morning. Typically, you will get out of bed. Some, type, some of us will either put slippers on, put a robe on, walk to the bathroom, uh, maybe we'll uh, shave, um, then maybe we'll go get breakfast. Breakfast, we may brush our teeth, then we'll rinse our mouth, use the restroom, um, finish getting ready, and then leave for the day. That's an algorithm. It's always done in a specific order, the same way, every time. And an algorithm, by using this specific way of doing things or this kind of a formula, 
adhered to in this exact specific manner, uh, step one through step Z, it's going to yield the same type of results every time. For example, if I was to say five times X, okay, is always even, is that a good algorithm? The answer would be, well, let's take a look. Five times one, I already failed the rule. Five times one is not even. Two times five is 10. So the minute one rule is not uh, plausible, that algorithm is not good. And there's a lot of things we have to do to test algorithms. But I'm not here to explain to you a lot about algorithms tonight. I just wanted to let you understand that there are different things being put in place uh, that you may or may not know about, and a couple of them being um, the assessment for risk. And understanding the assessment for risk is very important because if you understand why your fees are jumping and what's happening, then, you know, that, that can make a lot of sense. But if you don't understand why things are happening or why things are jumping, um, then it can get you a little bit frustrated. So they call this an APD, an algorithmic personality detection. And they have a formula that's basically devised after different people's uh, input and research from issues that have happened. And by this, they're able to say, okay, and then set up kind of like different groups. And then based on these answers, figure out where you fall into what group based on a certain type of risk. Other things I want to let you know is that glitches are more evident in 2016. Why? Well, unfortunately, a lot of companies, I'm not going to mention their names. One of them has a big capital M in it, and there's some other names out there. And the problem is all these companies right now are so eager to get their technology on the market that I don't want to say they don't care about testing because that would probably be wrong. I'm just going to say they're just not doing it. They're such in a rush to get it to the market that they're just not spending any time on testing. Or maybe it's very, very little testing. And so you can expect a lot of patches uh, to be coming out because there's going to be a lot of glitches. And the manufacturers know this. Uh, I'm not sure if it's because they're eager to get money, uh, if they're eager to make a presence. I'm not sure what it is. But all I know, um, our company being in the software development industry for many years as well, you have to test your, uh, your code. And if you don't test it properly, it may be great today, but it's going to bite you down the road. So you have to make sure that you go through a process. And I know it sounds like a lot of mumbo-jumbo, but it's important because if you don't test your code, it's going to cost you a lot down the road, and it could cost your clients a lot. So there's other things out there called um, blockchains and side streams, and these are are technology more than one party to verify your authentication. Uh, you might be familiar with Microsoft's, the one they're using to do their, uh, their personal one online. We talked about that a little bit uh, in the past. And um, so Blockstream is one of the companies, and they're building a similar method to FIDO, but hopefully going to be a little more reliable. And again, it's going to use more than one company to provide the input. So this is going to be a very, very interesting um, type of thing that's going to happen. And they're doing this for the main reason. And the main reason they're doing this is that they don't want to rely on FIDO. They want to have something that's their own, what do you want to call it, they, that, that's basically their own thing. 
And uh, I, I understand I understand the method and you know why they're doing this, but I think we need to understand that um, you know when anytime we use a third party for authentication of, of of some type of system, I think we need to understand that uh, th there could be consequences. Just because how do we know that the information is getting into the right uh, place? I mean, how, how, how do we know that? How do we really know that? And um, it's, it's important because, you know, when we talk more and more about security, um, you know, which is happening, and, you know, these different things evolve, um, more standards are being imposed, uh, different restrictions, and it's important because, you know, as we move forward uh, into this new age of computing, technology is really, really changing, and we're relying on technology a lot more. And the other thing that's very, very important uh, with technology is that it's, as it starts to evolve, some things are going to become apparent and other things are not. And what's going to happen down the road, because, again, it's not going to happen uh, all in basically day one. But as we, you know, progress down the road and we need things like uh, other types of authentication, and I understand why they exist. I'll, I'll give you an example of one so you understand. When you log into certain websites, they might say, gee, we'll use an Amazon verification or we'll use a um, Facebook authentication. So that's an example of using a third party. They don't necessarily know what the information is on the other side. All they know is they send it a, let's say, a, a, they'll, they'll send it a command or we'll call it a procedure. They'll call their procedure called Facebook check uh, user, authenticate user, or Amazon authenticate user. And then it'll pass the information whether they're authenticated. Then depending on what the relationship is with that company, there may be other information passed back. So once you're authenticated, which a lot of sites do, it just means they trust you as a user and you can log in. And that's all it does is, is do your, user, your username and password. And you still have to set up a separate profile in the website. However, there are some companies that are going a step further and saying, okay, when I get my Facebook authentication or when I get my Amazon authentication, do me a favor, would you pass back their credentials to my program, and then I could just approve them so it fills it in. That gets a little bit more dangerous because now that company is actually sending the information through an application programming interface through your site. If your site does not meet the standards and Amazon, Facebook, or whoever we're talking about passes that information, that could be seri a serious problem because secure information could be leaving their site and into your site. And by that happening, name may not be a big deal to you, but address we talked about is something that's secure. Um, phone number, personal information, we wouldn't just yell this on the street, right? So that's why, uh, you know, it's, it's really important that we actually understand. And I think this is going to be a good thing that they're working on with these new side, um, you know, they, they, have, they have a couple nicknames for them. Uh, but they're called blockchains or side streams. Blockstream is actually a company. Uh, that's making a side stream. And again, it's, it's going to be very easy because a lot of people can just use this interface. And then again, I'm hoping that they'll have different levels because you don't want to just give anybody access to all your information. But again, I just wanted to, to let you understand, uh, you know, what, what, what's happening with it because 
Uh, th there's a lot of stuff out there, and uh, security and authentication is becoming, let, let's say it's becoming more, more of a hot issue uh, than you would expect. And this is uh, bringing forward the new standard for PCs. Uh, it actually replaced the basic input-output system. Um, it's actually called um, the, the UEFI. Uh, it's a lot more secure during the boot process. And with the unified extensible firmware interface, uh, it's actually um, initialism UEFI, or uh, they say uh, unify uh, without the end. But it's a specialization that defines software interfaces between operating system and platform firmware. So what is it that this is doing? Well, that's an excellent question. UEFI is basically creating a, another layer, let's say, of protection interface. So many of you are familiar with the way that computers actually write to the hard drive, operating system, and then it writes to the hard drive. When we do certain types of recovery, we use a program that can talk directly to the hard drive and not go through that intermediary part of the computer. What the UEFI is actually doing is having another level of protection. So if something were, let's say, let's say that you had to modify something in one of the uh, firmware uh, parts of some of the other cards uh, that are on your computer, if they are UEFI compliant, you're not going to be able to just make changes right to that because if something changes, the computer is going to prevent the boot sequence. So it's actually going to look for certain signatures. So think of it like this um, other level of protection that's going to be there. And in order to use this, you do have to have uh, the new type of uh, partition. Many of you are familiar with uh, the partition that's been out there called an MDR. Okay, um, but when we talk about this type of thing, we're actually talking about another uh, type of partition, um, and it um, it's important because uh, this type of partition is one that's actually going to support over two uh, two terabytes. So if you have over two terabytes, you have to understand that uh, you're not going to be able to do it with the regular M, uh, MBR partition. So the only partition type uh, that's going to support the uh, over, they call over, over the two, two terabyte limit is the one that's going to work with UEFI, um, the MPT uh, partition. And that uh, type of partition uh, will work with the uh, Windows 7, and it does work in uh, Windows Windows 10 and um, the MFT partition actually is going to work with your new um, UEFI. So I hope that was uh, informative to you. Something else I want to explain to you, which has been pretty interesting, I found, is that as we evolve more with these different types of security and, and uh, new technologies are forming every day, the thing I think that comes to mind a lot is let's talk about drones. Well, did you know that there's something called drones or drones lanes? Well, in California, not too long ago, a drone actually prevented um, the California firefighters from putting a fire out because the drone got in the way. 
And uh, it, it becomes an issue because now, you know, it's not just a matter of a drone flying in the air, but the, uh, the National Air Force and airports uh, and the aviation, they don't want uh, drones flying anywhere near an airport. So that's a problem because you think about aviation taking off to and from an airport. So what are they going to do? Are they going to have certain zones where only drones can take off from? You know, and, and, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen, but that might be something that happens. There might be a special type of airport out there uh, called the drone airport, and it's going to be one place where they can take off and land from because maybe they don't want drones taking off and landing everywhere. But it becomes a problem because, you see, if they're going to send drones to people's homes to deliver things, they can't really do that because the drone is going to take be taking off from different houses. Otherwise, what's the drone going to do? Go on a street and then drive to the nearest airport and go up in the air. Well, you know, that would actually be safer. Um, it's going to be a bigger effect on cost because now the drone is going to get to point A, and then to get to point B, it's going to have to drive, I don't know, maybe it has to drive 15 miles before it can get airborne. That may not work so well. So remember I talked to you about um, the algorithm personality detection, APDs? Well, not only that, but here's the other thing that's very interesting is that you're going to find very soon, just like we have uh, terrorism protection um, clauses now in our insurance, you're going to start to see a drone protection line uh, in your insurance. Now, I know some of you, Brian, you're laughing over there. Abby, you're having your cup of coffee, and uh, Gina's actually subbing in today. You're, you're laughing over there. I know. You think it's funny, but, you know, what's going to happen is that, you know, how would you like one of these drones landing on your home, your condo, your house, townhouse, whatever, and it misses the front door, and it either smashes a window or it comes through the ceiling. Yeah, I, I know you think it's funny, but let's let's talk about how much it's going to cost to repair that window. What, somewhere between five hundred and a couple thousand dollars, and to repair your roof, we might be talking several thousand or more dollars, right? So, what is there going to be a deductible for drone? Yeah, I mean, what do you do? Call a company like uh, Exo, whatever the company is. They, well, gee. Um, Thank you for calling XO, um, um, X, XA, whatever. I'm not going to use the familiar one, which we all know. Thank you for calling XA. Um, if you have a problem regarding a delivery, press 1. If you're calling regarding a drone issue, press, um, press, um, press 1. If a drone has – if you're calling because a drone has either – has not delivered a package that you're expecting, press 1. If you're calling because a drone has delivered a package and has caused damage to your home or business, press 2. If your damage with your drone has less than $500, press 1. If your drone damage is over a million dollars, press 2. So then they press two, you press 1, and then they do some kind of analysis, and then they send somebody out there, Hi, I'm from XA, and we're here to do a, a, a survey on uh, the damage report that you filed with the uh, your drone, I do see you have deductible on the thing. So now you have insurance for this drone, right? But you shouldn't have to pay for it. XA should have to pay for that, right? So they come out and they say, oh, gee, we're going to give you free delivery for six months with our drone delivery service. We're very sorry about this, and we'll get this taken care of for you. You're laughing at me. But trust me, when you have something like this in the equation, somebody's got to pay for it. And I can tell you, that it's not going to be the consumer paying for this, but the insurance companies are going to want to have their backs covered. 
because let's say XA or DA or whatever the heck the name of the company is goes out of business and it causes some major damage. I mean, imagine a drone either flying into a hospital or, or flying into uh, an airport or flying into a store and causing more than just a few hundred dollars. Imagine a drone flying into a Mikasa store, right, or 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 or, uh, or or a jewelry store, and causing all kinds of damage. I I know we're laughing about it, and we think it's kind of funny because we don't really see it happening. But this is why drones are really not being permitted to deliver packages yet. It's because of all of the ramifications and possible effects that could happen. I'll give you a for instance of what else could happen with a drone. Let's say you're returning a uh, something back to XA.com. I'm making the names up again, but you know who I'm talking of. And uh, another one begins with an A. I'm sure you know who I mean. And now this drone comes by and it's going to pick up this device. It's in a case. Well, let's just say, for example, the drone makes a mistake in the beginning and they don't quite understand the difference between your package, which is for a child. And now it's in a, uh, a carrier, and all it is is this hook swings in to pick up a hook, and the hook on a baby carrier is very similar. And before you know it, the thing swings up into the air, and the baby's off to air with this thing, and the drone is off, and it's going back to corporate. And the, the other device uh, is you know, not picked up. We laugh about this, but these are things that drones don't quite understand yet. They're working this stuff out. And things about them hitting your, your window or coming through your ceiling uh, seem very far-fetched, but they're not. And this is why we're not seeing drones today, because they know there's a lot of problems with them. Um, they don't understand how to pick up weight very well. Um, we have the issue about licensing for drones. I mean, imagine having uh, a 1,000 drones in the air, right? So it's almost like FCC with communication and also with, like, planes. You know, there has to be some kind of regulation. So is there going to be licensing for drones? And are there going to be certain drones that are going to be restricted because they can only fly a certain height? And then are there going to be commercial-level drones, which are going to be not for recreation, but are going to be for full-level deployment for delivery? Um, I think that's really where we're going. I think there's going to be different levels of licensing for drones, and that's how they're going to control it. But it's going to be a pretty sticky situation because we're going to have issues like weight tolerances, picking up the wrong packages. Uh, we're going to have um, drones going to the wrong addresses because the GPS may not be exactly correct. Um, I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to make you put a certain chip near your address or by your mailbox so this way the drone knows that that's actually you? I mean, are they going to do that? Because how are they going to verify that that's really you? And I guess that would work out pretty well. They could put that outside, and then it would check, and then it would know exactly that that's you. But, again, it could still make mistakes, right? It can still make mistakes. Um, right now, the drones are not capable of doing things like, uh, you know, you, you get a package, and you know, let's say you want to uh, return it. The, the drone could probably return it. You could maybe not accept it. But there's just a lot of complications to the simple drop-off and pick-up. There's just a lot going on. And what happens if you need a signature? I mean, is a drone going to stick out a thing and say, please sign, and it waits for your signature? 
and then once you sign, it then drops the package. If you don't sign the package, I'm sorry, I'm unable to leave it. I mean, there's so many um, variables that are going to actually influence drones uh, that I think it's just amazing when we think about something that seems very simple, but actually when we put people in the, in the mix, because people are complicated, let's face it, right? And people are not black and people are not white. There, there's so many in-betweens. And a drone either accepts something is right or wrong, yes or no. They don't quite understand um, the viabilities. But I have to tell you, there is hope for them because with technology like lane-keeping assist, like having my car, you never thought many years ago that you could have a car that could actually keep you steered into the, into the roadway. Now, that seems complicated, but it actually isn't. It just has a camera that focuses on the road, and it really performs one task. If the car gets out of the lane, it brings you back into the lane. It makes sure you don't leave the lane. If the road changes, it kind of drives right with the road. So that seems complicated, and yes, it is in one sense, but the algorithm for that is always the same thing. Now, what could happen if there's a storm, if there's snow? I mean, what do you do? So there's, other, there's a couple complications, but these don't happen every single day. And that's why it was a lot easier to implement things like that than to implement drones, okay? To be honest with you, implementing cars that drive themselves are probably going to be easier to implement than the drone issue. But the only issue I see with cars that drive themselves is if the car gets an accident, who who's at fault? Like it's a not, no fault. I mean, does the insurance company have insurance for insurance? And now if it's your insurance company and something happens, is it actually the car maker that's responsible? Are you responsible? I mean, who's responsible? It's the manufacturer, and as long as you didn't change the programming on it and you didn't alter anything on it that you weren't supposed to, then technically it's still the manufacturer. And then insurance is going to be a thing of the past because there's going to be no driving unless you drive the car manual mode. But you're very rarely going to drive the car manual mode. So I think that's you know what we're going to actually see. And I know, Brian, it's time to go to a commercial, isn't it? So listen, ladies and gentlemen, you stay right where you are. We'll be right back on this 4th of July. We have a lot of great stuff still to talk about, so stay right where you are. Have data that needs to be destroyed? Don't take a chance. Let the experts at the Jmore Connection completely destroy and eliminate your data. For over 15 years, Jmore has been helping companies all over New Jersey with data security, destruction, and IT needs. Call 877-767-5667. Jmore meets federally mandated data disposal policy. Call 877-767-5667 now. And welcome back, everyone. We're here on 4th of July. Um, great to have everyone here tonight. I know our chat rooms are, are pretty uh, full tonight. And But we're still here, and you can call us uh, if you are actually... Um, watching listening to the show live you can call us right now um that's area code 646-787-1582 that's 646-787-1582 our lines are open now like i said our chat rooms seem to be a little busier than the phones tonight and uh, i kind of expected that again because it is fourth of july and um you know another thing that's important you know we talk about data destruction i think data destruction is really important we talk about, you know, how I rant and rave about the fact you should have a good quality um, shredder. And I told you you should have a micro shredder if you can afford one, especially in your office, because the more, the finer things get down, a micro shredder shreds it more than just strips. It actually shreds it into um, smaller pieces. So you have, uh, you have the shredding, okay, you have cross shredding, cuts it straight down, 
cuts the strips in half, and micro-shredding even cuts it more in half. So think of like a tic-tac-toe board. You take a piece of paper and you just draw and go clip, 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 clip up with the scissors. That's shredding, okay, really fine. Then you take a, um, let's say, a scissor and go from left to right. That's actually a, um, that's actually cross-shredding. When you cut it really fine, you keep cutting it, a lot of those, like really close to it, that's what we call micro-shredding, okay? And that's actually one of the most expensive shredders, but it actually does pay. Um, I know you asked me a lot of times what these cost. You can get yourself a, a shredder from 16 to 20 pages for some of these super super warehouses for uh, under $400, which is really, really good. And uh, it pays to go uh, from um, the regular, let's say, um, you definitely don't want to get a regular shredder. You definitely want to get a, at least get a cross shredder. And the difference of cost between a cross and a micro, uh, you might be talking $100 difference. The difference between a, a regular shredder and a, uh, let's say, a, um, a cross shredder, uh, you could be talking double the price, okay? Uh, so that, that's, that's important. But, you know, as we talk about security and we talk about things such as, you know, having things destroyed, I want to talk about recovering things too, right? So one of the things our company's been doing for a lot of the years is, you know, we either we get USB drives or we get um, compact flash uh, memory devices and maybe they're destroyed and we need to recover files from them. Could be a CD or any other type of media. It, it also could be a hard drive. But as I've talked to you about this before, uh, there are sometimes issues and we can recover just about any kind of recovery, whether it is a, um, let's say it's just a logical problem of where we could just use software and then we can get to something that's a little more advanced. So we have like an undelete issue and then we have a logical issue and one that gets a little more serious into things like uh, maybe you reformatted the hard drive and stuff like that. But what's even more complicated is when we get a hard drive, let's say that has physical damage, such as uh, the platters could be damaged or scratched. The read write arm is not uh, performing correctly and moving appropriately. The motor inside the drive is not spinning, so we're not able to do anything. So when those things happen, we actually have to bring it to a special place, some player that's very sterile, and it's mainly designed for fixing mechanical problems of hard drives and other devices, and we call it the clean room. And it's very important because a clean room is actually over, let's say, 100 times or more sterile than an operating room. And it has to be that way because when you're dealing with silicone, and these type of um, micro components, the slightest amount of dust may not only damage your controller, but we're talking about the fine silicon um, platters. It could permanently destroy them. So that's what's really important, that if you have any type of mechanical damage, that you can rely on us and we'll put a clean room for you and make sure that that drive is taken apart data is recovered. And the nice thing with us is that you actually pay a small evaluation fee and you don't pay anything if the data doesn't come back. Not only do we not charge you if the data doesn't come back, we just charge you that one-time analysis fee, which is very reasonable. We even go over a report with you. And I will tell you, very few companies do this, 
over 50 to 75% of the time, we actually discourage you from recovering the data. It's not because we can't do it. It's because maybe there's no user data. We actually go through a pretty detailed report that we can share with you and explain to you, well, what were you looking for? What file? Well, if we don't see these things, it's not going to pay for you to do the data recovery. Like, oh, well, thanks. That's really great. Yeah, well, there's only such and such on there, and there was no user data. So people are happy with that. And I think what we're just trying to do is give people peace of mind. And if we can get data back that they needed, that's great. But if there was no data on that drive ever, we'll let people know that too. I mean, we want to be honest with people. So this way, you know, because we, we don't want somebody to spend a lot of money for data recovery if there's nothing on it that they need. Or there might be, sometimes there might be a picture on there of something. The thing is, once we do data recovery, we charge the same amount of money, whether it's one file or a thousand files or a million files. It's because the amount of work that we had to go through to get that drive. And what happens is when we do these type of analysis, we actually go through and fix the drive. We know that half of the time people aren't going to go for the recovery, but we'd rather give people that information so they know that it doesn't pay to recover the drive. And, and I think that's, that, that's really important. So we talked a little before the commercial about drones and where things are going with that. The next thing I want to talk to you about is something called quantum computing and something called a qubit, a Q-U-B-I-T. Now, a regular classic computer can have a bit state in a zero for off and a one for on. So a computer is nothing more than a bunch of zeros and ones. And that's what computers read. They read binary. And then we talked about the different languages, but I'm not going to get into all that right now. But binary is what every computer language gets broken down into. At the very fine level, everything gets broken down to binary, which is machine code, to execute things very quickly and fast. The language just at the binary, which many of you may or may not know, is actually called assembly. That's where the binary, uh, so one step pre to binary is assembly, but binary is where everything goes. So a lot of times you'll program in assembly, just like drivers, is very quick. you don't have to go through accessing things. You can write to registers very quickly. You can write to memory devices. You can write to different controllers very quickly and easily without having to go through a lot of um, hodgepodge and a lot of extra overhead. The one thing, though, is if you program an assembly and you do it wrong, you will crash the computer faster than you ever thought possible because you're dealing right with the registers. And in machine language, forget it. If you don't do things right in machine language, you will damage your computer. Um, and sometimes you can cause more than just a program issue. You can actually cause um, something to short out. Now, that's very, very rare, but I want to let you know that happens because at the binary level, you can actually can change voltages. So there's a lot of stuff you can do. Assembly, too. But at the assembly level, um, you know, you're, you're going to be a little more cognizant of, of what's happening. And uh, I, I, think that's, uh, I think that's really important. So as we talk a little more tonight about technology, uh, something else that kind of came to my mind as I was planning tonight's show is that, you know, in, in our technology uh, every single day, we talk about now something called classic computers, which is what we have. A computer can have a bit that's either on or off. Well, in quantum computing, okay, quantum computing, we can have a qubit, Q-U-B-I-T. And now imagine this. 
one bit has the capability of four states. Zero, 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 one. That's pretty powerful. One bit has the capability, okay, of having four different states. Zero, 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 one, one, zero, and one, one. But unfortunately, <laughs> when you have a quantum computer, all of the language and the algorithms that you wrote for the classic computer aren't going to work on the quantum computer. It has to be written in an entirely different way because the computer processes data in a totally different way. Some of the things we're going to be seeing very soon, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm not sure the exact date, but we're going to maybe see solar panels on phone screens. Why? People are always complaining that the cell phone batteries are draining. The phone is outside most of the time. So with this, we're going to be able to have the light from outside actually charging our phone. I think that's going to be an amazing revolution. I know there's going to be a lot of issues with it. I only feel because it's new, it's going to be quite pricey. And that's going to deter some people off. And we might have to wait a few revisions till it becomes a lot more a lot more economical if you don't want to spend a lot of money for that feature. But, hey, you know, if you were buying a battery and um, let's just say it was a couple hundred dollars more for solar, I think that's worth it. That feature is definitely worth it, as long as it works. We don't know how well it's going to work. We don't know if it's going to fry the phone. We don't know what's going to happen with it, right? We don't know if it's going to damage the screen. We don't know. But these are things that we're going to see coming. We're also going to see something, and we talked about technology, and I thought it was interesting. We're going to see something called the sun cream pill. Now, many of you know that fish oils and cod liver oils and stuff like that can actually help you uh, and prevent you from different types of skin diseases and help you from different types of diseases in your body. Well, the sun cream pill is actually going to help your body to, let's say, sort patterns on your skin by you taking these type of natural, um, called a supplement, and it'll be just like you putting sunscreen on your body. It'll basically be a protection that'll come right over the cells, and it will protect your body just like sunscreen. So I, I think that's um, I think that's definitely an interesting um, I think I think it's definitely an interesting thing that we're going to see. I don't know you know how long it's going to take to get here to the U.S. It'll probably be in Europe, to be honest with you, faster than it will be here. And that's just because, you know, they don't have to FDA everything over there. Uh, that's probably the main, you know, that, that's probably the main, uh, the main reason for it. But I think as, as we progress, I think we're going to see a lot of great things happening. And um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what's going to happen. Because, uh, you know, taking this as long as it's natural and it doesn't cause any kind of issues, I, I think we're going to find that um, – it's going to be pretty amazing. So as we as we move along in, in technology, there, there's so much that's been happening um, in the past year that may or may not be evident. So many of you know that uh, there are companies out there, the security companies out there, they do a fantastic job, let's say, of protecting money. You've seen the commercials, but they don't protect themselves. It's kind of like the shoemaker, right? He makes excellent shoes, and he can repair your shoes in the best way ever, almost better than new, or better than new. 
do they do for their own shoes? They Their shoes are falling apart. Or with the technology, their own technology is being prote- not protected. And I think that's important. So, uh, you know, when you're choosing a technology company, kind of toot our horn a little bit, it's important that not only are we helping our clients, but we do take care of ourselves, making sure that we are protected, making sure that we don't fall prey to a lot of these games out there. Because I think a lot of these games that we see out there are actually, you know, they're very misleading. And if we're to trust these different things that are happening, uh, we're going to be in for a real, real serious problem. You know, now in the new version of, of Windows 10 and the, and, and, uh, and the feature is actually called Hello, they can have something for the Windows face. Uh, and the Windows face uh, recognition actually just password. So there's um, there, there's a lot happening, but as we you know move into some of this stuff that we see happening, uh, we're going to find that uh, we're going to see more bots out there, which are programs that actually uh, do things automatically. So we're going to see that happening a lot. And I know it's time for another commercial, Brian. All right. Well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, you stay right where you are. Uh, we have another quick one final break. We'll be right back to finish up. From all of us at the J. Are you having challenges with your servers crashing? Having issues with large file transfers? Is your system always getting attacked by viruses and spyware? Or are your workstations always slow? Jmore is the solution. Jmore has nearly 20 years of experience helping small businesses to large corporations manage their technology. At Jmore, we specialize in engineering technology to grow your business. Watch out for those promising you support for a low price. When troubles arise, you want the expertise of the Jmore connection behind you to run your business while you get a good night's sleep. Visit us on the web today at jmore.com. Welcome back. Sorry for a little challenge there. Brian, what happened? You fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> was I boring you tonight, Brian? No? Okay. All right. uh, no, the show's not over yet, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, Brian got a, little, got a little edgy there. He caught that. But I just want to let you know that uh, technology is changing. Uh, there, there's so much changing with technology as we speak. And we're not just seeing technology changes with computers. And some of the smart devices we have at home and the office is supposed to make life easy. We are seeing technology that is actually starting to become AI, artificial intelligence. For example, we're starting to see technology that's learning from itself. What do I mean by that? Well, Let's just say that um, a computer program was to hear something or see something through its sensors. It can match that pattern to something else and then see, gee, well, what did I do this time? And then what was the end result this time? And then it can keep track of that and say, oh, gee, I noticed the output should have been this. I said it to this based on this calculation, but I see based on, let's say, the, uh, the actual process that the depth of the pan was different. And a perfect example for this might be in the manufacturing industry. 
Maybe when they're baking, they have a certain algorithm. And, and usually once they get the algorithm, work, it, it works fine. But maybe you're making something new. And it has to be able, or, or it could be something like concrete or packaging. And let's say so many boxes have to hit the end. Well, at the end, we notice the sensor, instead of hitting 100 boxes, it only hits 75. Well, maybe that's because the angle they were dropped on, or maybe that's because of the speed of the belt. So even though it had a formula to how it should work, Instead of having a human being actually make those tweaks, the system can actually make those tweaks to match the end X result. What do I mean? If, if we know that 5 times 2 is 10, okay, that's great. But if we know 5 plus 5 is 10, great. But we need to get to, let's say, it had to get to... 100, okay? So 5 times 10 is 50, okay? 5 times 20 is 100. By making that adjustment difference, at the end, now it can have that different result. Now, I know this sounds crazy because in the past, all these, I call them tolerances, used to be adjusted by hand. And many years ago, um, actually one of my professors from college actually had designed a system. I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but he designed a system for a metal company. And what they did was unique. They had a certain piece, uh, I'm going to call it a widget for right now. And they had to, let's say, take this widget and shave it down to a certain tolerance, okay, in size. But they had to get it to a certain tolerance. The issue was based on the conditions outside, based on the temperatures in the factory, based on the wear and tear of the machine, the blades, okay, the angle which was coming in, all affected how well the tolerance was done. So the tolerance might have been one quarter of an inch every second, and that should have been fine. However, after it ran 100 times, the tolerance was not the same to what was expected. So when the sensor actually now read it, not a human being anymore, because you usually by a human being, but that took too long. So now they had a sensor as it would go past about every, roughly about every 100 widgets. The sensor uh, would notice, it would check every one, but every hundred would notice a slight tolerance, and it would actually move these servo wheels, okay, very, very finely. So what they did is the wheels that a human would adjust manually, we put little servo motors on these, these wheels, and they could just make little micro adjustments ever so slight, even slighter than a human hand could do. So this was absolutely remarkable. Because this factory was able to have less downtime because they had less product that was actually uh, had to be. They produced, let's just say, 10,000 widgets. In the past, okay, they would probably have to throw out 1,000 widgets because they wouldn't catch it. Now, um, I think their tolerance, if they produce 10,000 widgets, if one or two are thrown out to the bad pile because it kicks out any bad ones, that's pretty good. I mean, that's a great example of using technology 
to increase the value of your business. And you're probably saying, well, gee, why couldn't a human being do that? Well, think of it. Would you want to stop the machine every hundred things or you know, keep checking? No, it, you would never get anything done. So that's a perfect example where technology actually helps helps supplement human beings in the um, in the production plant. Not just in CNC machines for machinery, but we're seeing with robotic controls and programs that are very, very specific on where holes have to be drilled or certain welds have to be done. But then when the checks get done, or it could be something as simple as a um, a soda bottling factory. And even though those machines are working great all the time and they never need adjustment, maybe they have to come in every month. Well, if they were automated, they would never need to have those adjustments done every month because as they would get a little bit off, then they would make those micro adjustments. This could happen if you were doing something like color. Um, uh, there's just so many applications. So all you do is you take your end result of what a perfect end result is. And you keep looking at the factors, and then the computer will make decisions based on those probabilities. And then once it gets the right probability, it'll adjust. Now, in our case, it was just uh, adjusting a wheel or two, okay? Uh, basically, the length, the width, and the depth, those little adjustments, it was very easy. But when we get into more things where there's more variables, it might be things like, well, maybe we've got to change the temperature. So now, now let's say, gee, if the bend was over, for example, anything over 125 degrees to 40 degrees, well, we know that's an issue with the temperature. we got to cut it down. So we would tell the computer, basically, give it some ideas, and then it would kind of learn where these things are and make those decisions and then go from that dead as we move along. That's what we call artificial intelligence. So it's the ability to have a computer think like a human being and make the decisions. But remember something, a computer is not going to have any kind of feeling. So it makes decisions based on data only. So my caution to you is if you're designing something, especially it affects life or making a life decision, you wanna be very, very sure that the input that you're using and the output that it's generating is actually going to be a guide or there's going to be something else that's going to be able to check it, okay? And it might be something else that's so foolproof you know that this other test can't fail. Or you better have at least uh, one or two of those that you know are very hard to pass, but maybe you should have a human test to make sure that everything jives right. Because a computer is not going to understand the human element. It's going to operate totally on numbers and data. And at the end of the day, if the data doesn't make sense, the decision it makes may not be the one you would have made. So I think that's important to understand when we talk about technology, is technology is all about numbers. But what gives a computer a human element is when you have the ability to have interception by human or verifications that only can be done in a way that you would do them. And uh, there's certain tests that can be done depending on what you're doing. So there's a lot of stuff that we're gonna see happening. I mean, there was a lot happening in the last, I'm gonna say the last six months, they came with something more about telemedicine. We'll talk more about that in other shows, but they wanna basically set up these three, $4 million 
private cubicles in large companies, and instead of you going to your doctor in person, you go to one of these cubicles, and they have all these telemedicine things from uh, the blood sensors to the uh, heart rate to cameras, uh, all kinds of things that can gather data. And the sensors then give the data back to the doctor in seconds, and then they can tell what's going on, and they can make a decision. And they're doing this. The problem is, is that when they do this, the doctor may be online with you for, I'm going to say, five minutes, ten minutes. The doctor's fees are getting cut back. So this is what they're doing. And they're trying to give a reason to making sure people stay healthy. And by doing this, it actually prevents them from having to leave the company. And companies don't like to have to give sick time and stuff like that. So some of them are not only having these, these cubicles put in, but they're also having their own pharmacy right in the actual company. Because they see the number, the, number, the number one and two things that cause them to lose employee time is going to the doctors. And the second thing that causes them time is going to get prescriptions. So they have a robotic, uh, if you will, prescription filling system that will actually take the size, the vials, so the, the actual um, containers that they put the um, prescription in, label it, fill it with the appropriate prescriptions automatically, have it dispense, have somebody behind the counter read it, make sure it's correct, and hand it off and they sign it to you. So that's kind of where things are going. Uh, I think they're on the right track. I think we have to be careful, though that we don't really want to get rid of the human element. I think that's really important. Um, you know, we can always use technology to help us gather data, but let's realize that people are people. And I think one of the most important things that I want to leave you with tonight uh, before I have to go on this 4th of July is that as we evolve in the world, so many things happen and so many things change. But the real secret of life is that people actually change people. Now, they may not change you for what you want to be. They may change you for something you didn't want to be. But, you know, that's okay. And you may be okay with that later. Just be open to it because people will change people. And if you can understand that, you can see life can be so amazing and so wonderful. Just be open to it and know that life is a blast and understand people because people are the real magic of life. And they make life very unique and very special. It's almost like opening a present every day. I got to run. This has been a great show tonight. I hope you had a great and safe 4th of July. And I'll see you next week. From all of us at the Jaymore Connection Incorporated, we'd like to thank you for listening tonight and invite you to join us again next Monday at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to tell your friends and associates about the Jaymore Radio Show and call in live. Be sure to call us early next time so you can get on air too. The Jaymore Connection. We're engineering technology to grow your business, and you can chat with us right now at jmor.com or call us at 800-208-5155. Thanks so much for stopping by, and have a great night.